Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Communitas Church. Welcome to everybody at home also. We're glad you're joining us. Uh, it's a beautiful day out. The sun is shining. That's joyous. Just a couple of regular things that we go over every week, and it may sound monotonous, but we just like to make sure if there's new people in the building, they feel comfortable. If there's new people online, they feel comfortable. So um, first of all, communion. We do communion every um, Sunday. So if you're at home, you can go ahead and get some elements together, something um, similar to like a cracker and juice, and we will do that together in a short time with Pastor Mike. Um, and the other thing we really ask from you and um, it keeps the church ticking it keeps everybody able to keep the lights on as if you are willing and able to off uh, give an offering to the church that is a blessing to everyone here and a blessing to ourselves when we can do that and a blessing to the lord jesus when we can spread his word so we do have baskets in the church here that you're welcome to put um, checks or cash or whatever you have in and at home if you want to send a check you can send it to 824 laurel street brainerd minnesota or you can give online at communitaschurch.com. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like org or com, I couldn't remember, dot com. Um, the other thing, this church runs on volunteers, and if you have any um, questions about that, you can get a hold of Mike at mike.gary uh, at communitaschurch.com, and he'll be glad to point you in the right direction. Specifically, we would love if you um, enjoy reading scripture, which we love hearing here. Um, we could use some new, new scripture readers, some more. And also, this church is overwhelmingly blessed with little ones, little people, little children that are just looking to um, learn more about Jesus. And we could use lots of kids' church volunteers. So if that is something that is on your heart, please step up and do that, because that's our, our future generation, and we... Um, we don't want to stop it with, with us old people. We want to keep it going. Other than that, I think I covered it all. So let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come to you humbly, knowing that you are the great I am, that you are the shepherd, the great shepherd, Lord, that knows each one of us by name. You are magnificent. You are worthy. Your name is to be glorified. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you have bestowed upon Communitas Church, the blessings you have bestowed on each one of us. We also come to you with our burdens, Lord, and you know each of our hearts right now. You know if we're coming with a joy or if we're coming with a concern, Lord, and it's not a surprise to you. And that is a blessing. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you bring your Holy Spirit into this building, that we may put aside all those daily tasks and all those daily thoughts and focus on your word. Let it soak deep into our soul. And Lord, let us have a faith like Daniel and a hope like Moses and a heart like David. Help us to bring all our giants to you because we can face them with you on our side at all times. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we open our minds, our hearts, and our souls to you. Bless these words as they are given to us today by Mike. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, Tammy. If you are able, would you stand with me? 
Um, as we begin our time together today, I'm going to read to us from uh, just some bits and pieces from Psalm 25, a song of David. Um, Always I will lift up my soul to you, O God. Demonstrate your ways, O Eternal One. Teach me to understand so I can follow and ease me down the path of your truth. Feed me your word, because you are the true God who has saved me. And I wait all day long, hoping and trusting in you. Gracious, eternal God, remember your compassion. Rekindle your concern, your love, which have always been part of your actions towards those who are yours. Do not hold against me the sins I committed when I was young. Instead, deal with me according to your mercy, your love. Then your goodness may be demonstrated in all the world, eternal God. Quietly turn your eyes to me and be compassionate toward me, because I am lonely and persecuted. Rapidly, my heart beats as troubles build on the horizon. Come relieve me from these threats. See my troubles and my misery and forgive my sins. Take notice of my enemies. See how there are so many of them who, who hate me and seek my violent destruction. Please, Lord, watch over my soul. Watch over our souls here today. Let me face shame and defeat unashamed because you are my refuge. May honor and strong character keep me safe. Vigilantly, I wait for you, hoping and trusting. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here at Communitas Church. And Communitas is a church that exists to love God and to love people and build disciples who walk in grace and would grow in our faith. And we do this by gathering in groups and exploring the way that the Lord has gifted us and then using those gifts to generously serve in and around the Brain Lakes area to make more disciples that love God and love people and enter into this rhythm of gathering together that we would grow together and then we would go together. And so we express this in a couple of different ways. One, just by coming together, both here in the building and online, taking the time to set aside to say that it's important that we gather and that we, we learn and that we're transformed, that we continue to grow. And we do this through giving generously. We do this through expressing uh, our, our faith in Christ and, and proclaiming his goodness through song. Um, and then we'll, we'll do this through listening to the proclamation of the word. And before we do that, we're going to enter into a time of communion. Uh, parents, we leave this up to you to decide whether or not and how it is appropriate for your kids to participate in this rhythm of the church. And we celebrate it here at Communitas what is called open communion, which means that you don't need to be a member of Communitas Church to partake in the meal with us. We just ask that you would be a repentant follower of Jesus. And so if you are in the building or listening online and you are a, a repentant follower of Jesus, then we invite you to come to the table. And uh, if you're at home and you missed the announcement, just take, uh, take a moment and just run and grab uh, a liquid and a solid that's edible. And um, that's what we'll do. So usually sometimes it's juice and crackers, but we've seen all kinds of interesting combinations throughout this time. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to take a few moments. Kelly's going to play. And we're going to take a few moments in reflection on who is God the Father and what has he done? And who is God the Son? And how did Jesus live his life? And how does the way that Jesus lived his life inform the way that we live our lives, both individually as people and then collectively as a church? And then we're also going to ask, who is God the Holy Spirit? 
And what is the Holy Spirit trying to do in and through us? Because I've, I've got a reason to believe that if, if you can hear my voice, that the Spirit is trying to do something both in, to, and through you. I'm going to pray that in this time that, that he would convict us of our sins, that he would confirm in us the things that we're doing that are good, all that we would better convey the gospel to the world around us. Because right, like that's part of walking in grace. right? We have to be able to confess our sins because we don't address what we don't confess. And, and when we confess, our souls have room to breathe. And we eliminate the piety that would, that would keep those who most desperately need Jesus at arm's length, but invite in when we're able to confess our sin and to acknowledge it and to bring it before the Lord. We also, he's going to confirm in us things that we're doing that are good. If you're here, if you're taking time to listen to this, if you're joining, you're, you're doing something that is good that will bring you closer to the Lord in faithfulness and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, what he's trying to do in and through? Who are, who are the people that he's calling you to convey this gospel message? Right? Because I've reason to believe that there are probably some specific names and faces, times and places where you've been aware of what the Lord is doing or, or there's somebody that the Lord continues that whenever you pray about, about the kingdom or you pray about, Lord, how does this work out? There's somebody who's coming to mind. And so who are these people? And what are these circumstances? And what is the Lord preparing us to do? And how are we walking in obedience to that? And if, if you have... No idea who Jesus is, and you're just kicking around the tires of the faith. I'm glad that you're, that you're here, and that you're participating, and that you're listening. And I invite you to ask these questions as well. Is, who is God the Father, and what has he done? Who is God the Son? And how did Jesus live his life, and how does that inform the way that I live mine? And then who is God the Holy Spirit, and what is God the Holy Spirit trying to do in, through, and to me in the way of convicting me of sin, confirming in me the things that are good, we better convey this gospel message to the world around us. And so we're going to take some time, and then as you're ready, come on forward, grab the elements. We've got them set out to the left and to the right and in the back as well. And there are two cups. The top cup has juice in it. The bottom cup has a gluten-free cracker in it. And uh, so you can just remove those when you get back to your seat. And then I'll come up and I'll read some words from Scripture, and then we'll all partake together. So Kelly will play. As you're ready, come on forward. There's no, we're not looking at the clock on this one. This is where we, we, we usher back in and remember the holiness of time. So as you're ready, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat. We'll read some words from Scripture, and then we'll all partake of the meal together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you've created the world. We adore you and all of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And Jesus, we thank you for the way that you lived your life, for your sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you continue to speak to us, and that we would continue to listen, and that we'd learn how to do that better. That we, as individual people and as collected communities, your church, that we would walk in your grace, and we would grow in our faith in you, and that we would generously serve around the world. So meals are kind of a big deal uh, in Jesus's time in the ancient Near East, and so if you had a meal with somebody, um, it meant that you were going to care for them. They didn't have a, a police structure necessarily like we did, 
and and you often live in um, or we do excuse me and we often um, live in in kind of larger larger kind of communities and and so the protection came from the community and so if you ate a meal with someone that meant that you were going to protect them you weren't going to betray them that that you you're going to keep their interests in mind and so it was a it's a pretty different ho- form of hospitality and a, I would say a, a, a more robust form of hospitality uh, than we have and so when we read in Matthew 26 the um, the way that the Lord's Supper comes about in the 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 story leading up, right, is they're, they're gathered around this meal and they're, they're at the table together and as they're eating, Jesus looks around and says, one of you is going to betray me. Which would have been absolutely unfathomable for people like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, that's, like we're, at, we're at table together. And they all go around and then, and then he says to Judas, who's going to betray him, and you know, Jesus says, is it, is it me? And Jesus says, you said so. You're, you're the one who said that you, you would do this. And so, as they're, so then as they're eating, so in light of that, so that's the, that's, that's the setting in which we find communion. And then as they're eating, Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, and gives it to them and says, take and eat my body. And knowing that in, in light of that betrayal, in light of the fact that his body would be broken, his blood would be poured out, he takes the cup and offers it to them and gives thanks, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you that despite our betrayal, you still accept us. You offer us forgiveness and grace. You've offered us life. You've shown us how to live, and you invited us to live with you. Amen. Okay, uh, you can just hold on to these cups, and then on your way out, there are some blue buckets in the back. Feel free to just pitch those in there, and we will dispose of them for you. Um, so if you've, if you've been with us since January, regardless of when you join us, if you're, if you're here today for the first time, we've been going through the Torah since last January, and we finally made it to Deuteronomy. So we've done Genesis, we've done Exodus, we've done Leviticus, we made it through Numbers, and this is the first week of the book of Deuteronomy. So we talked about Genesis and, and where the Lord is revealed as, as a, our generous creator, and then we saw in Exodus that he's our miraculous deliverer, and then Leviticus talk to us about how Jesus is and, and kind of gets us prepared for the sacrificial substitute that, would, that is Jesus. And in Numbers, we saw him as a gracious provider. And throughout Deuteronomy, we're going to see that the good news from the very beginning, that the gospel from the very beginning of the dawn of creation is that Christ is our promised hope. And so if you have a paper Bible and you want to follow along, feel free to flip to Deuteronomy. That's the, the fifth book. So if you get into Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and see other names, come back a little bit to your left. If you see Leviticus and Numbers, keep going a little bit to your right. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 1 through 3, and Amanda will be reading some selected verses out of that. If you have a mobile device and you want to follow along, feel free to do that. If neither of those options are available to you, the words will be displayed on the screen behind us. So, Amanda, whenever you're ready. Good morning, everyone. So, yes, we will be reading um, Deuteronomy 1.1 1, 1, 
1, 13 to 18, 1, 23 to 26, 41 to 44, and 3, 23 to 28. So starting with Deuteronomy 1, 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazroth, and Dizahab. Moving on to 13 through 18. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Verse 23 to 26. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Eshkel, and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and brought it down to us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. 41 to 44. Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight. For I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord, and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites, who lived in that hill country, came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And chapter 3, verse 23 to 28. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon, but the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. 
but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Here ends the reading. Amen. Thank you, Amanda, and thank you, Lord, for your words that we're able to gather together and to read them. God, I pray that they would continue to transform our hearts, that they would inform our thinking, that our thoughts would be renewed and to come in line with yours, that we'd be shaped continually by your kingdom in its ways, not by the ways of the world. Amen. Okay, kids, at this time, you can head on out this direction. We've got some great lessons planned for you if you are interested and that's what you'd like to do. Feel free to head on out toward this door and uh, the teachers will be back there with you in just a moment. And so Lord, we thank you for these kids. It's such a privilege to have them here with us. Lord, we pray that we would uh, disciple them well, that we would be examples of what it is to follow you. That as Deuteronomy 3 reads, that we would encourage them and strengthen them as they grow. Amen. So you can think about like kind of both strengthening and terrifying moments in my life. Uh, I was doing a job in, um, anyone seen a, a Harrier jet ever take off? It's like one of the coolest things is the, the vertical takeoff jets. And so um, we're doing a, a job on the Yuma Air Base. And so there's two 80-foot water tanks fairly close together with a crane parked between there. And I'm supposed to uh, and so as we're pulling in, my boss says, hey, you're in control today. Excuse me? Like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to quarterback this, this project today. Yeah, but like, it's the Marines. <laughs> like, they're, they're kind of detail-oriented. Like, what, what if we screw this one up? He's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and I remember one time leading a, a, a youth group trip, I was on like, a year, a year or two ahead of some of these kids, and, and we're getting ready to go for this week-long summer camp, and we pull in, we got all the kids on the bus, and, and, and our youth director just looks at me, and he's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're running it this week, so why don't you go out to the big staff meeting and, and, and join them? Like, Excuse me? <laughs> uh, I was just like, here to help you. No, you, you're going to go and, and do this this week. Oh, Okay. And I think one of my favorites was, and I, I know I've shared this story here with you before, uh, but when I worked out in Colorado, I worked for a, a guest ranch, and, and our boss would always ask us, he'd say, who owns the ranch? And all the new employees, I would say, who, who owns the ranch? And we'd be like, uh, like, you do, Bob. He goes, no, you do. You own the ranch. When you go out, make the decisions like you own the ranch. And it was, there was both this, this, this pressure and this freedom and this responsibility because you knew that if you screwed up, like, it was not going to go well for you, right? But it also gave you this freedom to go out and, and to do things and to act because you had responsibility. And, and you're given, given that freedom and that backing. And now I did not always perform well in any of those functions, Right, but but there was there was grace, and so where it worked well, and I think one of the best things that my boss at the ranch was really good at was that even if you did screw it up, he took it, he owned it, right? And so someone could complain to him about what something that we had done, and he just okay, yeah, we'll talk to him, and and he never publicly humiliated us. He'd always kind of bring us aside and say, I appreciate what you tried to do here. Let's let's move in this direction, 
And so it was always a moment for, for correction. And it was never an embarrassing moment. There was never, you know, we never had to worry about, oh, our job is on the line, right? Because you were trying to do a good thing, and, and it was a little bit outside the parameter, so we're going we're gonna to bring it back in. But there's tremendous freedom in that. Because it wasn't this, this taskmaster and, you know, and task doer relationship. It was, there was far more, there was a greater purpose going on there. And, and so there was, there was kind of this, this friendship thing. There was, it was more relational. And so this is a little bit what we see here in Deuteronomy. And so Deuteronomy 1 through 3, kind of the, there's a little bit of a shift from numbers. And so if you remember from, from last week, there was a description about the promised land. And so what that was there for was so that Israel would always remember this hope that had been promised to them. Because during various times throughout their history, they had more than that land, and sometimes they had less than that land, or that land was being invaded upon, or they weren't the only people that were dwelling there. But it gave the people hope. It was something they could always come back to, and they could always remember. And so Moses is, is, is there, and they're, they're on the edge, right? Some of the, some of the tribes have entered in, and, and they're able to look out over this land that they've been seeking after for 40 years. Imagine 40 years of just knowing that this promise is there. This promise is going to be fulfilled. And now you're on the edge. And put yourself in, put yourself in, in, in the shoes of, of these, these grown children, right? So this is the second generation out of Egypt. Some of them would have remembered. They would have had some memories of Egypt. But most of them have grown up knowing only the wilderness, knowing only the desert time, knowing only this period of wandering and walking and wondering, when are we going to get home? Like, are we there yet for 40 years? And now finally, from the driver's seat, the answer comes, yes. We are almost home. In fact, there it is. And so they can look out and they can see this. And so this is what Moses is doing. He's saying, hey, here's, here's, here's kind of a quick recap. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. And then he goes through and he says, hey, and remember, so we, we put some people in charge of you. And, and, and they put you in charge of other people. And then so in this obedience component, there's also some responsibility. That we can't just walk around going, oh, yeah, you know, I did this thing and I screwed it up. It's not my fault, whatever else as is so often my temptation. I don't know if that's anybody else. Nice to know I'm not alone. Good. Um, at least one other person. Perfect. Moving on. And so he says, I'm gonna, and, and in, in the business world, you might hear it called elegation and delegation, or elevation and delegation. Right? So you, you put people in, in charge. You give them responsibility. Why? You delegate them tasks. Why? Because then they grow. They, they, they grow into who you're making them. And so Moses said, yeah, I, I can't run this whole thing on my own. In fact, I'm going to die if I do. And so he, he gives some responsibility to some other leaders. And then they go out and, and they, they're, they're, they're proceeding along. And I love the, the verse that, that Amanda loved, that story. Um, it says, the, the people realize that, that they've sinned. And this is, this is the pattern that we're going to see. There's, there's rebellion. There's wandering. There's grace, and there's the promise fulfilled. There's rebellion, there's wandering, there's the receiving of grace, 
and the upholding of the promise being fulfilled. And so the, the, the people rebel, right? The Lord says, hey, um, you know, go take the land. They're like, oh, we're not going to go do it. Then they're like, the Lord's like, well, you're going to get punished. They're like, okay, we're going to go do it now, right? Because for whatever reason, we always think that we want to, when we do the wrong thing, we also want to negotiate our consequence. Like, I did this wrong thing, so I don't really, and, and I want to be the one that also determines what I should do as, as a way to make it up. It's like, well, clearly you don't have great judgment. If you've already done the wrong thing, like what, what makes us think that we're going to be able to choose the right consequence for that action, right? And so they, they're like, okay, well, you know, God, like we're going to perform. Like we'll make it up to you, I promise. Like we'll go up. And the Lord's like, no, don't. Like I'm not there anymore. Don't, don't do that. Like, no, no, like trust us, we got it. And he's like, and what does the Lord do? What's, what is the Lord's habit when we're like, oh, we're going to go do this thing that you told us not to do? What happens? Does the Lord like chase us down and tackle us and say, no, don't do it? What does he do? He says, yeah, go ahead. Like, this is the right way to go, but if you want to walk over there, like, it's not going to go well for you. This is the way, sheep. It's so often where we're like, oh no, we're going to get all bucky and get like a goat, and then we head on over this way. And then what happens? I love this. This is great. This is. Chapter, 11, or, um, chapter 1, verse 44. Then the Amorites who lived in the hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do. Like, how embarrassing, right? Like, they're just getting swarmed and then just beaten out of there. And so, and then we see that humble Moses, and now mind you, so just quick thing here. So Deuteronomy, uh, there's, Moses gives three big speeches in this book. Does anyone remember um, Moses' ability to give speeches back in Exodus? Like, if, if Moses is filling out his resume, does he give gifted communicator on there? Like, is that on his LinkedIn profile? No, he's like, don't want to speak. Put me in the back room. I'll just take, you know, just, I want to go off to Goshen. I'm going to go be a shepherd. Just leave me alone. And yet throughout the decades, the Lord continues to change him and give him experience and experiences that allow him to get up before all of Israel and deliver a speech that will continue to be recited throughout the great history of the Jewish people and continues to inform even our faith in Christ today. The Lord can do and will do. And so... Moses shows this, this, like the Lord just continues to guide him, continues to invite, continues to show him how to lead, and he continues to bring the people along and invite them to follow and invite them to go to learn, to listen to the Lord's voice. And they continue in this pattern of rebellion, wandering, receiving grace, and moving closer and closer to the promised land. But then Moses has this moment that many of us have as well where he just breaks, he snaps, and he yells at the people. And he takes matters into his own hands, and he wants his performance and his ability to control the situation to trump what God has already done and the way that God has shown him to live. And as a result, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. And so I love this interaction at the end of chapter 3. Like, just imagine that you're Moses, right? You spent 40 years leading you know, what ends up being about six million people, like, no pressure, through the desert, 
that you've not walked in. No pressure. Following a God who, who has not revealed himself to the, the people in the way that you have, and so you've got to convey this to the other people in a way that inspires hope and, and brings them along. No pressure. And you can't freak out at them. Like, has anyone ever had that position where you've, you've, had, you've overseen people and they do something foolish? Do you want to scream at them a little bit? Does it work well when you do? Yeah, sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, rarely. And, and I love that so Moses and, and the Lord have this, this interaction, and Moses comes to the Lord, and he asks him this question. He says, hey, I know I blew it. Can I, can I go in? Like, would, would you let me have a pass? And I appreciate this because he, he comes in and he, he knows the glory and the grandeur and the bigness of God. He's seen the holiness of God work out in a number of different ways. And he doesn't whine. He doesn't complain. He says, hey, can I go? And what does the Lord say? No. You can look, but you can't touch. You can look. You can see it. But you won't step foot on the promised land. And then how does Moses respond? Does he come... Notice that notice what he doesn't do. It's not my fault. They're a bunch of kids. They're just like, ah, oh, they're just so childish. I can't like ah. Not what he says. But Lord, look at all that I've done. Look at my performance. Didn't you know you're not gonna let just this one time? He doesn't. The Lord tells him, strengthen and encourage Joshua. Prepare the people who are coming up behind you. Acknowledge the people who have been faithful this entire time and commission them to go and to lead. Finish your part of the task at hand. And, and sometimes in, in, in leadership, we, we see this, right? Like we have various tasks at hand and the, the great leaders uh, become more concerned with, with the ideas and the ideals than their ability to see it through to fruition. So we see this in, in great companies and in great organizations and, and sports teams where, where you have people that, that maybe grow and develop and, and have a willingness to, to pass it on and to hope, hold it open-handedly and to seek, seek success for the betterment of the organization. And then that trickles down. As, and so it's not just what happens with Moses, right? This is, this is what is to become of the rest of the nation of Israel because discipleship has a cost, does it not? So Moses is, is, is showing us, he's giving us this example that he's saying, hey, look, unless you are all in for the kingdom of God, unless you are all in for bringing this kingdom of Shalom to defeat the kingdom of empire, unless you are all in to following the Lord, to hearing the shepherd's voice and going where he's leading you, unless you are all in and you're ready for that, like, you've got to be ready. It's because the cost of discipleship is high. This isn't something that we can just flippantly follow along and go, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know any better. And so what is it that we're seeing here? We're seeing that big and small, that 
the Lord invites us all. We've also said it differently this way. We've said that the Lord is shown great when the broken participate. And so Moses is speaking out over the six million people, over the, the nation of Israel, and he's saying that you're going you're gonna to go into the promised land, that you have been accepted, and as a result of being accepted, you now need to obey, and you have the responsibility to carry this on. Because we saw, like, what happened when the people didn't don their responsibility? What happened when the people didn't take their responsibility seriously? They had to wander in the desert for 40 years. It was a 10-day walk. It took them 40 years. This is what happens when we shirk responsibility, when we want to take control of the matters into our own hands. Right? And people say, well, we can't control. The people are big. Oh, we're, we're afraid. We don't want to go in. The Lord's like, are you kidding me? Like you're afraid of a couple tall people? Like I brought you out of the global superpower of the world, Egypt. I brought you out of that, and, and you're, you're afraid of, of some tall people? In the, country, in the land that I've, I've promised to give you? You've been accepted. Walk in obedience. Don't obey that I would accept you. I've already accepted you. So what do we need to know? Big and small, God invites us all. Why? Because we see God's character in this. We see God's character that, that he doesn't insist, he invites. Right? The Lord is inviting, not insisting. And this means it's a delight to respond in obedience because it's a different kind of relationship. No longer do we see... So the, the people of Israel, they had a really good idea of the, of the slave-taskmaster relationship. They, they lived that. They'd seen that for quite some time. And so the Lord is trying to rewire them and, and to get us to, and show us how to think differently. Because is the relationship that you've had with your boss different than the relationship that you, you hopefully would have with a good parent? Even the best boss, right, and the best worker, that's going to be a different kind of a relationship between a parent and a child. Right? And so what the Lord is doing is saying, hey, look, it's no longer slave taskmaster. That's not the way that we relate to one another. The way we relate, we relate to one another is father-child. He's saying, you're a son. You're a daughter. You're my child. We have a different sort of relationship. And so when we have equality and communion as the, the, the foundation of our relationship, that changes the way we relate to one another. This is my boss of the ranch, right? It says, who owns the ranch? You own the ranch. At the end of the day, I mean, he owns the ranch, right? Like at the end of the day, it's, it's God's kingdom, but he's saying, I need you to come in. I need you to participate. I need you to own it. I need you to have responsibility for its coming to fruition. I can't just have you sitting on the sideline anymore cheering on. I need you to participate and get in the game. And it's not about your performance and your ability to control but it's about responding to this invitation. And it helps us to own blessing as well as failure. Because, get this, right? So imagine that you're one of the, imagine that you're, you're there and you're listening to Moses and he's telling you, he's talking about you rebellious people and how, you know, like you, you've done these things. How many of those kids, those, those now adult children, how many of them were actually around during those rebellions? None of them. None of them. That's why they get to go in. They weren't at the age of accountability at the time. But the Lord's saying, 
If you want to be part of the blessing, you've also got to own the failure. We're marred as people. And we get into trouble when we say, oh no, it's, it's like, that's not, I'm not part of that. Or, and, and we try to separate and we, and we try to compare our strength to other people's weakness. Or we say, well, I did this thing. And, and we try to make it about our performance and we try to control the situation. And all that does is mar our soul and stiff arm people from coming to the throne of grace. It keeps people away and trying to think that they've got to somehow clean up their act before they come to the Lord. When the Lord would say, no, you've done enough. Come to me now. So when we, we see God as a punitive taskmaster instead of a gracious father, then it becomes about our performance and not about what he's done. And so we have more times where we go, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. And we blame shift. Like, anybody else done that about five times already today with me? You know, it's just like, gosh, I can't get it out of my head. Like, what, like oh, well, you know, like, why is the house a mess? Well, it's a house a mess because, you know, like, oh, I, if, if you did this and I did this and because you did that, I mean, like, what a bunch of crap, right? Like, why do we do this? Or we do like, like the Israelites do, right? And they're like, Lord, I know that you said to not do this thing and we didn't do it, but like, we'll go now and we'll, we'll make it up to you. And Moses asks the question later, he says, who is a God like, like you, God? There's no God like, like God. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a cosmic sugar daddy. He's not some kind of vending machine where you go, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't do the thing then. I'm going to do the thing now that you told me to do. He's like, no, no, no. Like, we're past that. We're moving on toward the promised land. Don't go back. Come along. And so when we don't see that big and small, that God invites us all, our souls get entangled because we don't confess we need to continue to compete and to perform. Right? Like how many of us we get bound up because like, oh gosh, if I, if I confess this, if I own this problem, if I confess to this sin, then what will people think of me? I don't know if you've ever had that experience where, where you move from being afraid of confessing to confessing and then having someone say and hear the words, you're forgiven. Has anyone ever had that? Like that is one of the most life-giving experiences you will ever have. And all of a sudden the soul is safe and the person becomes free. Yet we forget that and, and we bind back up again, right? And trip ourselves up. Here's what Jesus would say. I think informs what we should do as a result of this. So he would remind us in the Gospels that the cost of discipleship is high. Luke 14 it says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which in some ways, all of a sudden, that, that can lead us to go, well, I've got, I've got to do, right? I've got to bear the cross. I've got to be in control. I've got to do the thing. I've got to perform. I've got to live up to this certain standard. And there's some truth in that, but it's undergirded with these words in Matthew 11. Come to me. Come to me all who labor all who try to perform, all who try to work their way into the love of God. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can't earn rest. Rest is given. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Unlearn the ways 
that cause you to be caught up in this rat race. Learn the ways of Christ. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we bring this to the world around us? What does it look like to confess to our neighbor, to confess to people in our household, to confess to people at work, to say, I blew it. One of my favorite stories is we were sitting in, in one of our groups one time and, and visiting with somebody who, who said that they'd, they'd slighted somebody at work and they weren't sure the person noticed, so they quick shot him a message and said, yeah, uh, th- I, maybe you didn't notice, um, but I did this and that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want to be about. I'm, I'm sorry. And the person was like, yeah, I did notice and I've been fuming about it for the last 10 minutes. But that you came to me is really important. And all of a sudden, through confession, this person has the opportunity to talk to this, these other people in their work about the gospel, about the way the Lord is changing their life, to have more concern for others in the coming of the kingdom than about themselves and their, and their own glory. So some things to think about in this. What are your roles and your relationships? What roles and relationships do you have in your life? And then what's your responsibility in light of that? So for me personally, I think about, right, I'm, I'm a husband. Me, Megan and I are married. I'm a dad. Fran's back there. I work here. I'm a pastor. I drive a school bus sometimes. I fix bikes sometimes. I'm a brother. I have two parents I have two grandparents, I have cousins, I have aunts, uncles, nieces, friends, I'm a coach. These are all these roles that I have. These are all these relationships that I have. And what are my responsibilities within them? I've got lists of tasks within all those. And and if I were to go through and I needed to check every single one of those boxes, what would that do? That would crush me. I couldn't do that. Right? Because there's one relationship that's paramount. That's where there's one relationship that's most important. And the Lord continues to remind the people throughout the scriptures. First and foremost, I'm a son. I'm a son. And those of you who are in Christ, you are sons and daughters of God. And so that informs my responsibility within my roles and my relationships. And that I don't have to walk in obedience so that God would accept me. I have been accepted, so now I can walk in obedience. And the responsibility that I have is no longer up to, it's not in my control, and I don't have to perform in order that God would accept me. But I've been accepted, and so now I can live out the responsibility. And there's freedom and there's support. Why? Because I've come to him. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why? Because he is with me. He's with me. And we've, we've, we've read that from the very beginning. All right, this isn't a new concept. This is good news from the very start. Genesis 1.1. Right? The Lord is with us. Just imagine what it would be like if, if we as a people owned this. If we took on this responsibility and we got more concerned with, with the idea of the kingdom of God coming to fruition, the actual kingdom of God coming to fruition, and, and didn't get so tripped up with, 
with our own performance and how we're doing within it, but actually responded out of acceptance, responded out of the notion that we who are in Christ are sons and daughters. Right? And the Lord does not look down at us like a boss does that says, hey, I'm concerned about the bottom line. I need you to get this product out the door. I need you to accomplish this task. But he looks at us a loving father and says, you're my son. You're my daughter. Come with me. I've shown you how to live. And I invite you into that life with me. Because it's good. That's where life will be found. Because that's where grace is. You don't have to earn it. There isn't anything that you can do that's going to make me love you more. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make me love you any less. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I'm your dad. So come along. What does it look like to live in this reality? To extend this reality to the world around us? A few things to consider in our groups and throughout this week. Where have you seen God change you? You see that Moses goes from this guy who doesn't want to talk at all to delivering three of the most powerful speeches in the Old Testament. If we, we in Christ, we've been commissioned to display a true way of being. Yet so often our need for control and our need to justify ourselves, our need for performance, interferes with this display. What's one way you can surrender your need for control this week? What's one way that you can surrender your need to perform, your need to justify, your need to, to work, to be accepted? What's one way you can surrender that this week? When we try to control life, in essence, we're telling Jesus that he doesn't know how to run life best. What's one way this week that you can live out of the knowledge that Jesus runs this life best? And this is probably part of a, a larger ongoing conversation, especially within our groups. Um, but what are your roles and your relationships? And how does Christ inform your responsibilities within those relationships? So you think through, you know, maybe, maybe you're a husband or a wife or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a parent, or a child, a teacher, a student, a coworker, a boss. What do those various roles and relationships look like, and, and how does Christ inform your responsibilities within those? I see that humble Moses' folly is his pride when he accuses and, and, and misnames the people? What are the ways that we do that? How can we speak blessing upon people? How do we strengthen and encourage? So we think about the people that we have in our lives, and so often it's easy to, to do what, right? To curse. 
It's very easy to curse. It's far more difficult to bless. Blessing is a discipline. Blessing is something that we have to work to get good at. And I'm just amazed at some of you all who are just incredibly good at it. I wish that I could do it like you do. But who's one person that you can bless this week? Who's one person that you can affirm this week? Who's one person to whom you can tell the truth this week about who they are before the Lord as a way to help them navigate their atonement? So when we hear God's voice, we remember, we remind, and we rejoice. So let's remember that big and small God invites us all. Big and small, God invites us all. Let's remind ourselves and one another that we who are in Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter. And let's rejoice in the fact that we have been accepted and invited to obey that we don't have to obey to be accepted. Living out of acceptance and walking in obedience, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to go out and show this kingdom to the world around us. Our roles and our relationships are no longer simply things that we do to pass the time or ways that we either learn or give or receive or, or somehow prosper, but rather it is an invitation and an opportunity to bring the gospel and show the kingdom of God and to bring that kingdom to fruition. So as you go out this week, may the interactions that you have with the world around you be informed by the fact that for those of us who are in Christ, that you're a son, you're a daughter. May you strengthen and encourage those around you as you have been strengthened and encouraged by Christ. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you all back here next week. Go in peace. <laughs>